Welcome to episode three of Slow Down to Go Fast. This is Eric Ebert, and I'm going to be talking about project-based learning in the classroom today. The road, the path, and how it gets weird. Stay tuned. So our object-oriented programming apps course, or OOP apps, I wanted to talk a little bit about the philosophy behind it and what I was thinking when I created it. Um, it is the course that comes after our trimester courses. So there is an introduction to programming in Python, and it is a trimester course that ends with a little bit of object-oriented programming. And so when I created this course, I had a couple of things in mind. One was most students need a transition to get from Python to Java. And doing some of the more sophisticated things in Python is easier than trying to get them done in Java. So part one was to accomplish this transition. Part two was to deal with more sophisticated things because we had a longer period of time. This is a year-long course, whereas the others are a trimester. And then kind of my other guiding thought was to focus on the applications to learn the object-oriented paradigm. When you read about software developers and software engineers and what they think about object-oriented programming, you can tell that they're suffering some PTSD around having seen a object hierarchy that was unexplainable or simply unfathomable. I try to tell my students that when they hear people engaging these concepts and the ideas in this religious fervor-like way that they need to be able to step back from that and or ignore it and assess it on their own. And so we get the opportunity to talk about some of those things, um, the positives and the negatives of having the object-oriented thing at our, at our disposal. And as we've focused on applications, namely we've been focusing on games. So we started off building a text-based tic-tac-toe game in Python. Um, we did some other things as well um, in Python. We kind of ended with um, an image changer project that was around code maintenance was the big concept that I was get, trying to get them um, to work with there. Um, you have this pre-made code base and you have to maintain it. You have to get it to go from one version of Python to another or go from one um, particular version of PyQt to another version of PyQt. Um, so that was kind of what we did around the image changer project and then we uh, walked off into Java and made um, some text-based games. Um, we made a 
trading game where they traded fruit. That was a rather significant project. And then they just completed a Yahtzee game. And so now we're delving off into the world of classes in the context of, of Java. So those were kind of some of the guiding th things and the guiding thoughts that I had as I created the course and some of the things that we've been doing. Um, the vast majority of this course has been project-based. Um, so from a programming point of view, um, I've been having them work on particular projects as we've gone through the class. And one of the things that it gives them is the opportunity to iterate on ideas and to iterate on um, things that they've tried that don't work or things that they try and then they can take it to the next step. So this is where it gets a little weird for them is that there's no way for me to know how long it's going to take the class to program a particular game. So due dates either get thrown out the window or they become very open. Uh, an instructor expressed the concern to me that perhaps particular students or a particular class might take advantage of this open-ended structure. And I think the way that I would deal with that is having particular parts of the week where you have a forced check-in to figure out where everybody is and to have them reflect on what their own contribution to the project has been. Um, so as I said, most of this has been around, um, most of the projects have been around trying to build some kind of game. And oftentimes it starts with some code that is in our textbook and then they take that code and expand upon it, build the full-blown version of the game or what have you. I've also been having them do reflections and or tutorials about the concepts that they learn or reflections on big projects. Um, for the trading game, we, uh, we documented that project through podcasts. So it's important for students to understand why you're doing the podcast, what you expect of the podcast, and what the goals for it are. And so when I wrote up that assignment, I did. I had most of them do it in pairs, but there were a, there were a couple that did it solo. Um, I had them do a had one group do a podcast at the beginning of the week and had another do it at the end of the week, and we kept doing that uh, till the project was done. Um, I had a specific set of goals for the beginning of the week and I had a specific set of things that whoever was doing the podcast at the end of the week needed to assess. And so I think it would be uh, less productive if guidance was not given. Um, you need to make sure that the guidance is being given around the why you're doing it and what your expectations around the podcast are. Um, we've also explored media um, as presentations of particular concepts as they were learning. 
I've had students do screencasts. I've had them do narrated slideshows. I had a group build a web page. And one of the things that I really want to do looking forward is to get students to think about how it is that particular types of media allow you to do things. And perhaps it's more difficult to accomplish something with another type of media. There are lots of reasons that reflection is important. But one of the things that I want students to realize is what they've accomplished throughout the school year. And whether you're posting a podcast or you're putting up a web page or you're putting stuff up in Seesaw, whatever is going on, students can come back to that and see it and remind themselves, yeah, we did accomplish that um, today in class. I sat, I um, had the students list out what it was that we'd done throughout the school year. They've done a lot and they've done a lot to be proud of. I'm certainly proud of them. <laughs> One of the stumbling blocks I found, or um, I mean, we all stumble, students stumble, and when students stumble, I need to get them unstuck. And this is one of the most challenging things that I come across as a teacher. How do I get students unstuck? Um, sometimes I can provide some working code or write up some code that solves a problem that's similar to what they're trying to do, or perhaps it's a baby version of what they're trying to get done. And that can often be helpful. Um, getting a single or pairs of students unstuck, honestly, most of the time what they need is another pair of eyes, if not an experienced pair of eyes. And often get them unstuck just by having another pair of eyes on the code and giving them uh, and discussing what the next course of action should be. More challenging is getting the whole class unstuck. If the whole class has kind of fallen into a pit and they're stuck somehow, you have to be able to gain traction and go forward. So the other day I asked the students where, why aren't we getting over the hump? What do we need to do to get over the hump to complete this project? And a student asked, where is the hump? And that's a very good question. What is it that is holding up progress? And it's important to be able to ask, and once you can answer that question, it allows for the needed discussion to figure out where to go. A lot of times, perhaps not a lot of times, but sometimes the being stuck is because students aren't necessarily communicating as efficiently as they could be. So sometimes my role in getting them unstuck is simply guiding them through the communication and make sure that guiding that communication allows them to have effective communication together. It's okay to be confused. Students need to know that. It's okay to be frustrated. Students need to know that. Um, it's okay to need help to say, I don't know. I've never tried that. Try it and see what happens. And that can be a little 
fraught at first, but as a teacher, part of my job is to provide the kind of environment where they can become okay saying, I'm confused, I'm frustrated, I don't know what to do here. And we can talk about that. The other thing that I have found is that it is important to talk about perhaps abandoning part of a project or saying we're not quite ready for this part of the project. That kind of discussion can relieve the anxiety around what's happening there. Just because you're talking about abandoning part of a project doesn't mean that you have to. And if you do choose to abandon part of a project, there should be from students justification and clearly delineated reasons as to why that happened. Those are growth experiences too, and it's important for growth experiences to happen. And mixed up in all of this is deferring judgment. I defer judgment and take students what they're doing and what they're telling me. And I try to get students to understand that it isn't effective or efficient to assign blame, but to fix what happened and to acknowledge that there was perhaps a miscommunication or somebody forgot to save before they committed to the repository or what have you. Those are important things. And now for how it gets weird. There have been some things that I absolutely did not expect to um, deal with as we, as I've played with project-based learning. Um, so I wanted to talk about where it gets weird and it gets weird. Make no mistake. Um, I think the weirdest thing for me are on the days when I have no role or I feel like I have no role. Um, as a teacher, I've stepped back and I've let students do things, but sometimes in some days it feels like I have no role and that's okay. It's just weird. There were a number of days as they were in the middle of a project where they groups would check in with me. We would check in as a class. The various groups would go around, talk about where they were and what they were working on, and then they got to work. I had no role. They took charge of it. After they'd done the check-in, they were doing their thing, working hard. Because I had no role, I would walk out of the classroom. And that in itself is a little weird. Um, but one of the things that I learned by leaving the classroom, students would get up, they would move around, they would talk to students they wouldn't necessarily have talked to otherwise at the beginning of the year. Um, and it allowed them to have some freedom and feel like they had autonomy in the classroom. So my brain is, likes to be engaged 
all the time in some way, and I don't like it when I don't have something to do. Um, so sometimes I'm pacing the hall, thinking about something, um, and going to get a drink of water or what have you, and run into another instructor. Don't you have class right now? Yeah, that's awkward too. But the benefits of stepping out of the classroom for a little bit and letting students have the classroom uh, turned out to be an important thing. It's not fear that I feel when I say that it gets weird. It is simply me having a different place than I've ever had before. So I say that I have no role, but that's not quite reality. Um, there is a role. I do, I do play a role. Um, it just doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes I can test code for students. Um, they'll be wondering if a particular piece of code works. And so I can come up with some kind of small test thing and test that piece of code in isolation and, um, and show them this is how I tested it and this is how I know that it works. And that helps them relieve whatever questions they had around that code. Um, so if I'm not pacing the hallways, I'm sitting in the classroom. And that's exactly what I'm doing, is I'm sitting. Oftentimes, they want to discuss an issue with me, or they want my opinion on something. And that comes to the next thing, which I do think is important. It can be tempting for a teacher in that situation to do grading, to write email, to do other things, but I can't do my work. I may feel like I don't have a role at that moment, but my role is to be available and to be present more often than not. Um, so that temptation I can absolutely see to try and get something done while students are working, but they need to know that I'm available. And oftentimes if a teacher is working in front of students on something else entirely, students won't feel that that teacher is available to them. So one of the things that I would say is not fall to that temptation. Yes, it feels strange that all you're doing is sitting there for 35 minutes of a 42 minute period, um, but the other seven minutes that they're interacting with you in the usual way that a teacher student was, does, is because you were available and present at the time. So those are some ways that it gets weird um, and it is felt different, strange, and odd. Um, here's something where fear does creep in. I get worried about how long a project will take. So I will absolutely sit down and think, this will probably take about this amount of time. And when things get to be in three, four, five days after that point, I start to get worried about the fact that this has taken X number of days. Um, as we're kind of closing in on the end of the school year, I wonder, are we going to get to do GUI in Java? 
are we going to be able to build some games that require user interfaces and, and do some of the quote unquote more cool things? Um, and I am slowly working on processing those kinds of feelings. Students get more out of what's happening through these projects than trying to get X number of concepts shoved into them in a short amount of time. And I have to remind myself of that. So a friend of mine, Corey Fogg, who works out in the East Coast at a school, um, I worked with her at CTY in Seattle for at least two summers. I don't remember if it was three, but it was at least two summers. And one of the things that she would say is keep doing the things that scare you. And so while project-based learning gets a little weird, um, or at least it seems very, very different, that's not a reason to stop doing it. And I've absolutely seen the benefits of it for uh, both myself and the students in the class at large um, to keep thinking about these things and to keep thinking how education is changing and how we can continue to help students learn to hear their own voice in a positive way, express ideas, engage in creativity, and, um, and have an outlet for the things that they enjoy doing. So the other day we had a special event going on and there were only 22, 22 minutes um, or 27 minutes for every class. And they walked in and I said, ready, set, go. And one of the students said, there's already not enough time. So I'm glad that they are enjoying the course um, to the extent that they wanna be doing these things, that they feel like longer time periods would allow them to be more productive we have 42 minutes uh, class periods at my school. Um, it would be nice if we had some longer blocks of school, longer blocks of, of class time that weren't at the end of the school day, um, or if we could disappear for class when it is backed up for lunch, backed up to lunch, and, um, and go program and, and eat for a little while, but. Overall, this has been a fantastic experience, and um, I know that I will continue to think about and continue to reflect on project-based learning, but those are my thoughts for, for now. So I hope you enjoyed it, and have a great week.